Denny was just up here talking to us about our Grace Beyond Building project. This is uh, the plans that God's given us, we believe, uh, to renovate our current facility to help us do the ministry God's asked us to do. Uh, but I remember back a number of months ago before the elders had made the decision we were supposed to go forward uh, with this project. And uh, we've been praying about this for a long time and asking the Lord, what are we supposed to be doing? And I remember specifically we had a special meeting that was called and the elders were all supposed to individually spend the day fasting and praying and asking the Lord, what are we supposed to do as a church with regard to this building project? And the plan was we were going to get together that evening uh, and each person was supposed to come with anything they might have heard from the Lord and then we were going to have a time of sharing and then corporate prayer together. Uh, it was a great evening. It was, really, it was really cool. God had spoken to each person, each elder, differently, but all saying the same thing that we were supposed to move forward. Uh, but two comments in particular stuck out to me that evening. One was one of the elders shared that in his daily reading plan, uh, he was scheduled that day to be in Psalm 40. And as he was reading through Psalm 40, uh, God just, you know, in that sort of way in which you can't really explain, God just made it clear that, look, we're supp you're supposed to go forward and do this. Trust me in this. And there's language in there about uh, God being worshipped in the great assembly, and that elder took all of that to mean God saying, look, come with me on this journey. And so uh, shared that with us, and we heard Psalm 40 read, and that was fantastic. Another elder said that his reading for that day <clears throat> was Hebrews chapter 10. And Hebrews chapter 10, and he read us the portion of Hebrews 10 that God had laid on his heart and how God had spoken to him through Hebrews 10, telling him to trust God and that we were supposed to go forward with this. And what he had to say from Hebrews 10 was so powerful uh, that we turned to look at Hebrews 10 uh, together. And uh, when we looked at the beginning of the chapter, which wasn't necessarily the section that he had shared with us, when we looked at the beginning of the chapter, it sounded really, really familiar. And the reason Hebrews 10 sounded really, really familiar was because Hebrews 10 is being built off of a quote from the Old Testament. And the place it's quoting is Psalm 40. Now, it's crazy to me that two different elders who are following two very different reading plans, I mean, these are reading plans like Psalm 38, Psalm 39, Psalm 40, Psalm 41, that it just so happened that on that day, one elder who's following his reading plan is in Psalm 40, and another elder who's following a completely different reading plan is in Hebrews 10, which the two chapters are inherently linked together, and both of those are happening on the day we're supposed to be getting together, fasting and praying and asking God about this building project. Now, maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Don doesn't buy it. <laughs> maybe it's just a coincidence. But like Don, we took that as being from the Lord. We thought, well, this seems to have the fingerprints of God. And because of that, Hebrews 10, more than any other chapter in the Bible, became that section of Scripture that the elders felt God was using to speak to us to tell us to go forward with regard to this building project that we're doing this year. More than that, because it came out of the book of Hebrews... God seemed to be saying to us that we should spend the year studying the book of Hebrews. That's how we ended up with the book of Hebrews as the book in which we are going through and the whole idea of a journey of faith. 
So this morning what I want to do is I want to go to Hebrews 10 and I want to look at this passage of Scripture that's so powerful, not only to help us to understand how we got to the point about doing this building project, that's important, but much more importantly is to understand why Hebrews 10 is so absolutely foundational to the idea of being on a journey of faith. All of us are on journeys of faith, and they're in different areas and in different ways, and Hebrews 10 has a truth that's so fundamentally important to understanding the concept of being on a journey of faith that it works out perfectly that in 2015, we begin by looking in Hebrews 10. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Hebrews 10. If you don't have a Bible, simply look underneath your seat or in the rack in front of you and find uh, one of these Bibles and turn in that Bible to page 973 and you'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. 973 and we're going to look at Hebrews 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, but we're really going to focus on verses 5 through 10. So please listen to the whole thing as I read it, but then pay special attention to verses 5 through 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. The law, and this is speaking about the Old Testament Mosaic law, what we have in the Old Testament, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and here's the quote from Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, even though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, meaning Jesus, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Okay, this is a complex chapter with some complex theology in it. But the essence of what's happening comes out of the quote from Psalm 40. And here's the point. The Old Testament law 
mandated sacrifices of animals, bulls and goats, be offered for the sins of the people. But the point is, is that the sacrifices of bulls and goats never actually dealt with the problem of sin. All it ever did was cover them up. We've talked about that in the past. The blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient to pay for the sins of humans. It simply was an acknowledgement that humans had sinned, and because humans were at least willing to acknowledge their sin through these sacrifices, God was willing to simply ignore those sins for a season until they could actually be paid for. Jesus, on the other hand, because he is God become human, his blood is of infinite value. And when Jesus offers his blood as payment for our sins, that payment causes our sins to be totally and completely forgiven, removed from us as far as the east is from the west. It signs for us a new contract with God, what we call the new covenant. The idea that God will be our God and we will be his people and he will put his laws in our hearts and we will have a relationship with him and all our sins, all our misdeeds, all our mistakes will be removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That's the new covenant agreement signed in the blood of Jesus. Now we've talked about this as we've gone through the book of Hebrews. This is review, but first, or Hebrews 10 is drawing on the fact that Jesus did all of this. His sacrifice accomplished all of that. We've talked about that, but Hebrews 10 now adds another twist, a new piece of insight, and it's answering the question, why was Jesus' sacrifice so pleasing to God? Hebrews 10, there's all these bulls and goats all being sacrificed and killed. God was not pleased with that. That wasn't pleasing to him. But Jesus' sacrifice, his willing death on the cross, that was pleasing to God. And what is it about Jesus' sacrifice that's so pleasing to God? And the key verse is in the quote from Psalm 40. It's verse 7. Then I said, this is Jesus and his attitude in going to the cross, in becoming a human and going to the cross. Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. The reason why Jesus' sacrifice is so pleasing to God is not because he obeyed the Old Testament covenant. It's not because he obeyed the rules and regulations in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus did obey the rules of the Old Testament, and that's a good thing. But that's not why his sacrifice was pleasing to God. His sacrifice was pleasing to God because his attitude was, here I am, Lord, I've come to do your will. You see, when you think about the will of God, when we think about God's will, there are two aspects to God's will. The first aspect are, there are certain rules and regulations that God has laid out for those who are followers of Jesus. For example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, it is God's will. That's what we're talking about, God's will. That you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. It's God's will that we abstain from sexual immorality. 
It's God's will that we not engage in sexual immorality. This is one of the many thou shalt nots or the thou shalts that are in the Bible. These are very clear black and white rules that God has laid out to say this is the conduct that is appropriate for those who are followers of Jesus. Part of God's will is following those rules. It's God's will that you not engage in sexual immorality. However, there's more to it than that. What I mean is this. When you die and stand before God and he asks you, what did you do with the life I entrusted to you? If your only response is, I didn't commit sexual immorality, he's not going to be pleased. Now, he's glad that you didn't engage in sexual immorality, but the point is, if that's it, if that's all you have to show for the life you lived in this body is, all I did was not commit sexual immorality, there's something missing. In fact, if you stand before God and say, well, I looked for the rules, and there was a rule in here that said I needed to make sure I assembled together with other people, and I did that, I went to church. There were things in here that said that I needed to give money, and I gave money. There are things in here that said that I need to look out for the poor, and so I worked at a soup kitchen. All of that is very good. But it's not enough. Because there is a second aspect to God's will. There's a second aspect of God's will, and that is submitting to the specific path that God has laid out for you. That's the aspect of God's will that Hebrews is talking about. So we're not ignoring that there is a part of God's will, which is, look, I wrote down what you're supposed to do. Do it. But there's another aspect, which is God has laid out a path. And the example here is Jesus. And the point is, where does it say in the Old Testament that it's required that a person die on a cross? Is it required that every person who was a follower of God die on a cross? Is that written down anywhere in the Old Testament? It's not. It's because it's not a part of the rules of the Mosaic law. Jesus didn't simply show up and obey all the rules. He went beyond that. And the way he went beyond that is he said to God, here I am, I've come to do your will, meaning I've come to walk the journey of faith you've laid out for me, and Jesus' journey of faith led him to the cross. He didn't go to the cross because he opened up the Leviticus chapter 4 and said, I have to go to the cross. Everybody does. It's written down here. He went to the cross because he was loving the Father, and this was the path God laid out for him. Consider the example of Israel. Israel, although they did disobey God and break many of the rules God gave them, according to Hebrews 10, they did the sacrifices. The Old Testament law says you gotta do certain sacrifices. Israel, for the most part, did those sacrifices. But was God pleased with them? No. Why, according to Hebrews, was God not pleased with them? Because when they got to the edge of the promised land and it was time to go into the land, They refused. This is why Hebrew says God was not pleased with the children of Israel. But the question is, where in the Old Testament does it say, anytime you get to the edge of a promised land, you have to go in? Where's that rule written down? It's not. The point is, is this was the path that God had laid out for Israel. Beyond simply the Ten Commandments, it was the journey he had laid out for them. And when they got to the edge of the the promised land, they said, hey, we'll keep doing the sacrifice thing, but we're not going into the land. And God was not pleased with them. Or turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. 
Hebrews 11 follows on from Hebrews 10. You might be familiar with Hebrews 11. It's what some people call a hall of faith because it's got lots of sort of Old Testament people who are commended for their faith. But if you read through Hebrews 11, nobody is commended in Hebrews 11 for obeying the rules. Now again, it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But why they're in Hebrews 11 is not because they opened up to the rules and did all the things the rules said. Look at some of the examples. Verse number seven. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark. Was it a requirement that everybody who was going to be a follower of God had to build an ark? No, just one person. One person built an ark. That was the path God laid out for Noah, and Noah followed that path. Or verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Is everybody who's a follower of God required to leave their home and go on a journey to move to a new land where God shows them? No, just Abraham. Abraham was required to follow that path. Or look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Did Abraham open up the Old Testament and read a rule somewhere that everybody's got to sacrifice their firstborn to God? Did he read that somewhere? No. It was the path God laid out for him, and by faith he followed it. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell. Denny mentioned this earlier. Was there some sort of rule that any time the children of Israel got to a city, they were supposed to march around it seven times and then have the walls fall out? No, they only did that once. But it was the path God had laid out for them when they were supposed to take the city of Jericho. What about verse 31? By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Is this a standard rule? That everybody who's a believer needs to welcome spies into their home? No, it's not. But for Rahab, it was the path God laid out for her. The point I'm trying to make is, is there is an aspect of God's will, which are simply the rules that have been written down in his word. Do not commit sexual immorality. Forgive one another. Those are rules that are true for everybody. Every Christian needs to follow those rules. But there's another aspect to God's will, which is the specific path he's laid out for us. Keep going in Hebrews 12 now. So Hebrews 12 falls on from Hebrews 11. And look at our benediction. We say it every week. Listen, though. Therefore, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And here's the phrase. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, on one hand, we're all running the same race. On the other hand, each one of us has our own individual race. And the fact that Hebrews 12 follows on from Hebrews 11, where all these people are being commended for running their individual races, the point is, look, each one of us have been given a race by God we need to run. There are some general things that are true of every race. Don't commit sexual immorality. Honor your father and mother. Forgive those who have hurt you. But there are also specifics that are specific to our race. Abraham's race and Noah's race and Rahab's race and the children of Israel. Those were different races. They look different. They look different than mine. That's why Hebrews 11 keeps saying, by faith. By faith is because Noah had never seen anybody built an ark before. He didn't open up a book and read a verse that said, on this day, start building an ark. 
He had to follow by faith. This is what God wants. Abraham doesn't turn to numbers anything and say, sacrifice your son. He has God leading him to do it. It's by faith because it's not written down anywhere. And the point is, there are two aspects to God's will. One aspect is he's written down the expectations that are true for every believer in Jesus, no exceptions. But there's another aspect to God's will in which he says, I've got a race marked out for you. I've got a path I want you to walk. And your path is not going to look like Noah's path, and it's not going to look like Abraham's path, and it's not going to look like Rahab's path. This is why Jesus' sacrifice is so pleasing to God. It's not just because he showed up and did the stuff he was supposed to do. He did that, and we praise God that he did. It's because he also showed up and said, here I am, I've come to do your will. I'm ready to walk the path you've laid out for me. And Jesus' path, which is God becoming a human, living an incredibly difficult life, experiencing betrayal and persecution and having to take the sins of the whole world on himself and dying on a cross and being separated from God and being raised from that, that's only his path. Nobody else has ever walked it. Nobody else ever will. And the reason why God is pleased with Jesus is because Jesus said, it's my path, I'll walk it, you lead. And what he's asking of us is, look, you want to know how your sacrifice can be pleasing to God? Walk the path God has laid out for you. It's probably not going to involve you bearing the sins of the world and dying on a cross. It's going to be something different. It's probably not going to involve you sacrificing your son or building an ark or harboring spies in your house. It's going to involve you and I going down the race marked out for us. So what's the practical application for us? First, as a church, when we think about this Grace Beyond Building project, we believe this is God's will for us. It doesn't mean we turn to a verse in the Bible and read, in 2015, Calvary Church must start building a building. We didn't do that. But by faith, like Noah, like Abraham, like Rahab, like the children of Israel marching around the city of Jericho, we sensed this is what God has asked us to do. This is the path he's laid out to us. Now listen, there are some things that every church is supposed to do. Every church is supposed to share the gospel. Every church is supposed to give generously to those who are in need. Every church is supposed to teach God's word, and we're supposed to do that too. But God is not going to be pleased with Calvary Church if that's all we do. We also need to walk the path he's laid out for us. And this is our path. It's not any other church's path. It's our path. Now, I could ask the question, Lord, why'd you give this path to us? Why can't we have that church's path? Why do we have to build a building? Why does it have to cost this much? Why do we have to be out of our facility for that long? Look, if it was my path, I would have it be free, and there would be no dislocation from this facility. And it would be done instantly. That would be my path. But what God has asked us as a church to do is say, look, here we are, Lord. We're ready to walk your path. We're ready to do your will. I don't know why it's this way. I'm not in charge. I'm not laying out the path. And the point is, there are some things every church is supposed to do. We need to do those things too. There are some things that are specific to Calvary Church that God has said, here's the race I've marked out for you to run. And it's our job to say to God, okay, here we are, Lord. 
We're ready to do your will. And the reason it's a journey of faith is because you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't have it written down exactly how this is going to work. You don't have all the instructions laid out in Ten Commandments that you just simply do those things. It's a journey of faith, which God says, look, you're going to have to trust me. This is why Hebrews 10 was so powerful for our elders, is because when we turn to Hebrews 10, we hear God saying, look, you're not going to have all the answers. But come with me. Come with me. And the attitude that God loves most is the attitude that says, here we are, Lord. We're ready to do your will. And when our elders said, here we are, Lord, we're ready to do your will, he said, here's the plan. This is what I want you to follow. Likewise, if you think about giving to the Grace Beyond Building Project, it says in the scriptures that anyone who's a follower of Jesus should give generously so that the work of Jesus can continue in the world. But we do that every week when we take an offering. That's what that is. Every church is supposed to do that. This Grace Beyond Project is not that. This is why we're not up here saying, hey, look, you ought to consider giving 10% to Grace Beyond or you ought to try to hit this goal or do this. That's not what we're doing. What we're telling you to do is, look, ask the Lord, what is it that he wants you to give? Say to God, here I am, Lord, we're ready to do your will. And if God tells you, don't give anything to the Grace Beyond Project, please do not give anything to the Grace Beyond Project. Now, he's never going to tell you, don't give anything to the work of my ministry. That's the general command. That's what we take the offering for. The grace beyond thing is something different. It's us as a church saying to God, here we are, Lord. What's your will? We're ready to give what you want us to give. And that's why we keep telling you the most important thing you can do with regard to this building plan is simply pray and ask God, what does he want you to give? If it's everything, give everything. If it's nothing, give nothing. This is us trying to follow the specific path God laid out for. And every single person who's a part of Calvary Church, God has a specific path, not a general number. Hey, if we all gave this amount, that's not it. A specific path for each one of us. And what God wants is not for us to hit some number. What he wants for us is at the end of the day that we said to God, here we are, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here our family is, Lord. We're ready to do your will. You tell us the number, we'll do it. It's also important as you think about the beginning of 2015. There is no better resolution that you can make for 2015 than to say, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to do your will. I think about the Matheny family. Don Matheny went home to be with the Lord this past week. It was a, a surprise. He's been a faithful part of Calvary Church for a long time, a great teacher of God's word. Uh, I've been blessed immensely uh, by Don's teaching. I know many of you in the church have been blessed by Don's teaching. It seemed we'd been praying for him for a long time. It seemed like he was getting better. He was due to be released from the hospital on Wednesday, uh, and he died on Tuesday. I look at that, and I look at his wife, Cheryl, who in the span of two months has lost her husband and her daughter. And I look at Greg, his son, who's my friend uh, from the high school days here at Calvary Church who lost his dad and his sister in a two-month period of time. And I look at them and I say, wow, that is a hard road. That's the road God's marked out for them. It's not my, it's not my road, it's their road. And the very best thing they can say is, not thank you, Lord, this is great, we love this. The very best thing they can say is, here we are, Lord. 
We're willing to walk the path. Here we are, Lord. We're ready to do your will. I think yesterday I had the great opportunity to go to East Grand Rapids High School for a pool dedication. Uh, Butch Briggs, who is a part of Calvary Church, uh, is the EGR swim coach and has been the swim coach for 40 years. <clears throat> and uh, both the boys and the girls swim coach. And so they were naming the pool in his honor. And so because he's part of Calvary Church, uh, I thought this would be great. So we went there to support that. And, uh, you know, it was amazing. He wrote something and handed it out to the people who came and then also had his chance to talk. And both what he wrote and what he said were the same thing. This is the path God laid out for me. And I followed it. And I thought, how perfect is that? I know there were hardships with what he was asked to do. I know there were difficult things. He walked the path God laid out for him. That was his path. It's not my path. It's not your path. It's not Abraham's path. He walked the path God laid out for him. And there's no better resolution in 2015 than to say to the Lord, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to walk my path. Now look, there are general things we're all supposed to be doing, but each one of us also has a specific path that God has laid out for us. And perhaps at the beginning of 2015, you're here and you're saying, God is saying to you, look, I need you to walk the path of being a stay-at-home mom with children who are being difficult to raise. That's the path I marked out for you. Maybe God is saying to you, look, I've got a health crisis that's coming. You don't even know about it yet. It's coming. I need you to walk this path. Maybe God's saying to you, look, I've got a relational issue. I want you to walk down. There's not a specific verse written about it in the Bible, but it's still God's leading in your life. It's the path he's laid out for you. And the thing he wants more than anything in the world is at the beginning of the year for you to say to him, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to walk the path. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's going to entail. I don't know how to get through it. I don't know any of the answers, but I trust you. I trust you. Not just, Lord, I'm ready to obey the rules. Please, that is incredibly important. I'm just saying what Jesus came to show us was there's more to it than that, which is God has laid out for every one of us the race marked out for us. And the sacrifice he's most pleased with is the sacrifice that says, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to do your will. So at the beginning of 2015, we want to give you some space and time to do that. You notice we've left the stairs open. There's no stage extensions. The reason for that is we're going to sing three songs. We've got some time to do this. And during this time of singing, I want to, you to, I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, is there any aspect of God, the path God has laid out for you, the journey he's asking you to go on that you're refusing to do. Perhaps you've been saying, but Lord, I want a different path. I don't want this path. I want her path. I want his path. I don't want this path. Perhaps God's been asking you to follow him, not on a specific rule. We already understand that. But on a specific way in which those rules are applied in your life and you've been resisting to this point. Maybe you just at the beginning of 2015 say, you know what? That's a hard for me to submit to the Lord. I just want to commit myself at the beginning of the year to say, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to do your will, whatever it is. We want to give you that space. If you need to come down and apologize to God for trying to design your own path and walking down that instead of the path he laid out for you, we want to make space to do that. If you want to, if you want to come down here and ask God, please give me strength. I'm willing to walk this path, but I need help. We want to give you space to do that. So while we're singing, as the Spirit leads, Again, nothing magical happens when you get out of your seat except for the fact that it's a way to tangibly say, here I am, Lord. I'm coming out and I'm coming down front and I'm kneeling here at these stairs to say, I'm ready to walk the path you have for me to, to walk. 
So as the Spirit leads, please come and uh, pray to the Lord.